And we are back. We are back. Welcome to Match Point number nine, a tennis bets podcast. I'm one of two co-hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MB9 Tennis on X and all the socials these days. You can find our show on Spotify, Apple, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. If this is your first time listening, Chance Starts I found us. If you're a returning listener, returning champion, welcome back. I'm based in California and I'm tossing it to Canada, the home of my co-host, Mr. John Reed. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand, Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ, and he does tennis form recaps. John, welcome in. Well, thank you. I'm uh it's it'll be fun. Fun to chat some fourth round, I guess. Yeah, some fourth round, a little third round. Maybe I'll have this out in time. We'll we'll get into that. But first, we always kick it off with our accountability segment. What did we win? What did we learn? Wins. How about Chris O'Connell to win a set at plus one eighty five? The over twenty nine and a half. You talked about live overs. If anyone if anyone heeded that advice against Medvedev, it looked uh, pretty dire until all of a sudden there was <laughs> success, <laughs> uh, which came very late in the third. Uh, so thank you, Chris, for for not giving up and cashing those tickets for us. Tommy Paul money line minus one twenty up to minus one thirty, depending on where you got it. Uh, versus Alejandro Davidovich Pekina, cash that. John was big on taking that. Adrian Manorino, Francis Tiafoe played, and we played the over three and a half sets at minus one fifty. Manorino gets the first set. Thank you. Uh, Foe wins and four. Big Dom Stricker. Our guy keeps it rolling. John, you teased your stake for the money line at minus 130. What did you put in your your preview for staking for that one? I had two and a half units on the money line and then one on the minus one and a half sets. It, it came out at the numbers I betted at to about a unit of profit, though. And you know what? A unit of profit on every match, the amount of matches I bet would be... Uh, I'd, I'd put Pinnacle out of business. Obviously, I don't do that. So, like, <laughs> don't don't pretend like this is a brag that's not a brag. But I'm just saying, even going one and one, you go one and one on a match with a unit of profit, you are a happy camper. I will take it. Absolutely. Borna Goyo, uh, minus one and a half sets versus Yuri Vesely at minus 145. Cash that. Bet that as we recorded. Nice little pickup for me. Lazlo Jera versus Novak Djokovic. couple takes on that match in the last episode i bet the to win a set at plus 300 uh, for pure variance reasons and i i got that variance and Sweat i also free. well it was pretty sweaty the uh entire because he got that break no. pretty early in the first no, set. oh yeah yeah <laughs> so i was i mean he went down on serves several service games and gutted him out i mean i thought there was no way he was gonna hold but he did i also um, off air, played the set one money line at plus 650. So that was a nice pickup for me. Thank you, Laszlo Jera. Full disclosure, I have a Fritz, Taylor Fritz, 33 to one US Open ticket uh, from like post Atlanta. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, that was dead. Is this going to get uh, a pulse? But now, <laughs> no, opening, opening moments of the third set was like, oh, this is. Novak's gonna gonna crush, and uh, we've seen this before. Mo- I think most recently we saw this against Yannick Center at Wimbledon last year. When uh, <laughs> that was the last time he fell down two sets, and then it was pretty much over from the start of the third set. <laughs> Losses. Let's talk about something from the round one episode that I left off. Uh, Alexander Vukic versus Alexander Zverev over thirty four and a half. Mm. Missed that last time. That was a serve oriented match, as I thought it would be but six four six four six four cool 
cool, 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 cool. Of course, Zverev chokes away a set uh, against Altmaier in the next round. Thank you. <laughs> a less dirty. And, and when he says chokes it away, he doesn't mean like, you know, he had set point, a set point at 30-40 up 6-5 on return. He, he means like he had, oh, no, wait, he won the set. He had three breaks in. But he almost choked away two sets to Altmaier. He basically choked away a set to a tie break that would have also helped your over the round before. And then choked a set the next thing. He went 5 of 25 on break points. And I'm sure Dave was like, where the hell was this against Vukic? Like, he could not convert a break point to save his life against Altmaier. Yeah, I also had a small play on Altmaier set one money line oh. at plus three fifty. Um, oh, of course, of course, he wins the second set anyway. <laughs> Lloyd and Harris is the first. He came back three times in that first set. <laughs> oh man, yeah, not on the right side is Vera, but we'll try to get oh. there uh, in a bit. Coming up, Lloyd Harris set one over nine and a half. We talked about set one money line to win a set at plus one eighty five. I got it at plus two hundred at close. I hit it again. Man, uh, Lloyd, I'm not sure which was more painful. The double fault for the under nine and a half to come in in the first set, the uh, break and uh, chance to win the third set. And then, I mean, just pitiful tie break. It was max pain. I'm so glad O'Connell came in after that because I was like, if we're going to lose both these, that's going to be painful. But uh, thankfully, O'Connell came in. Zhang Jian, Moneyline versus Rinky Hachikata. This one's a bummer because uh, I'm a pro Rinky guy, but it's just a matchup that I typically actually do chase Rinky in and uh, pay the price for it, uh, especially at plus 130. I wasn't like super stoked on that price uh, with Rinky in that matchup, but he comes through. And then Aslan Karatsev, Moneyline, we talked about as that creeped up, uh, I got it at plus 140 versus Shelton. And this is this is something I will talk about learning from. Was, uh, I mean, Karantsev's double faults were an issue that we didn't really talk about in, in the last podcast, but were there. And in a matchup like this where I'm not going to say it's going to come down to fine margins, but there's a lot of variance between these two players because of their styles. Uh, the double faults, certainly a nook and cranny that I should have unearthed. In the analysis of that, uh, Karatsev have been coming in with double-digit double faults uh, in his matches leading up to that. We had actually, earlier this summer, in the Eubanks-Shelton grass matchup, talked about Shelton's double-fault problems potentially being a uh, a reason he might lose that match, and especially during tiebreak, which did come to fruition, and it was a pretty accurate handicap by you, John, in that one. So, yeah, I mean, always got to check every... Uh, angle on these ones especially ones where the the variance is so wide yeah i mean like i said i push back and shout on this i'll push back here too 10 double faults is not making the difference between me playing plus 145 and me not playing plus 145 so i mean i I really don't mind plus yeah you don't want to give points up on serve but when you're playing a poor returner like ben shelton it should come into play less Uh, and that wasn't about his double faults so much as was about him tanking away once he uh once he lost the what was it third set or once he got down a break in the third set, he kind of just wilted or wilted away. I mean, like I said, it, it wouldn't push me off making the play. It wouldn't be like, hey, he had 14 double faults. He only had one double fault in his first round, too. I get that Huesler and other tournaments and Mackie and other tournament, he had 10. The Mackie was played in super wind in Toronto, so not really applicable. Uh, the first round match, he only had one double fault, I think, against Yuri Lehechka, if I'm not mistaken. So 
yeah, to me, that's not really anything that would have changed a whole lot. He just got outplayed by Ben Shelton. Like Ben Shelton, apparently a challenger wizard and a grand slam, a hardcore grand slam wizard in the first week. I mean, this is crazy. He's got his points now. I, I looked this up on Tennis Explorer. His point, his ranking is now built on last fall's challenger titles, the Australian Open fourth round, the the Cagliari challenger semifinal on clay, because that was a 175. Those points are actually going to be somewhat prominent. And now this, like that's it. Everything else is like first and second rounds. His entire ranking is based on challenger success and grand slam success, polar like polarized kind of tournaments, which is nuts. I don't, I can't think of a comparable to this. I cannot think of a, of a comp where a guy's ranking is just built on a bunch of challenger titles and then random success at majors. Pretty cool, and also odd. Less the the challenger titles, but uh, some might say he's creeping towards American Chapo. But uh, I'm not going to say it on this podcast. But some might say I've that. said it. <laughs> I've said it. I've already said. It. I said I, I give him more more leeway because he's so young, and it's like he has at least three more years to improve on return and improve his tennis IQ before I label him American Chapo, right? Because you know you got to give him a grace period when they're young. They have the talent. If they don't develop for three years, then you know you suck. Right, like you're you're American Chapo, but he, you know we'll, we'll revisit that in 2026. You get the feeling a rap in a post match <laughs> interview is is on the way. <laughs> um, outrights, uh, we still have Tommy alive. You still have Medvedev alive on the both on the quarter market, and Hubie is dead. So there you go. A lot of illness going around. John, do you, do you have anything on that? The, the, the Hubie apparently was battling illness. Dami team illness. Chris uh, Eubanks. Yeah, what mob syndicate uh, poisoned the well there uh, and uh, is is uh, fixing these matches? You know, it's almost yeah, it's almost like you've got some people wondering about COVID returning this and that. I I don't know, man. It feels like it feels like there's. I, I don't want it. Like this is pure conjecture. Okay, this is pure speculation. It's not even an allegation from a player. Okay, this is even less credible than that. I just I have a feeling something might be up with the food either on at the venue or. Maybe there's something going around the men's locker room, but this is really odd. It's primarily concentrated with the men. Anjabur does this all the time. She's like heat exhaustion and, oh, I'm so faint. I'm going to puke on court. She did this in Miami, two matches in a row. Puked on court, then pulled the Rafa and became the warrior and came through the match. She's the female Rafa. Don't put a lot of stock in that. But on the men's side, this happened. This happening a lot. And no one's mentioned it in press. And there have not been any, there's no, been no news in interviews. That almost makes it feel like the tournament wants this kept quiet. Again, pure speculation and conspiracy. Okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going on. I just feel like from a logical standpoint, at least one of them would have mentioned, I did this or that, or I ate at X restaurant, or I did, like, why is it three or four guys? And we haven't heard anything about it. Chris Eubanks is on the freaking broadcasts now that hasn't talked about it, as far as I know. I don't know. It seems odd, bro. It seems really odd. Uh, I'm waiting for American air conditioning to be brought up uh, in context of all this. That's usually a, a tried and true. To, uh, <laughs> oh, not 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 excuse, but uh, narrative that gets that gets out there. Um, all right, John. We have some matches to talk about, which we will after I talk to you about Spotify for podcasters. All right, John, I'm going to have this out in time, plenty of time, actually, to talk about the last two matches today, the day of recording, the end of round three. The first is Alexander Zverev versus Grigor Dimitrov. 
These two have played plenty of times. Five and one head-to-head to the Zverev side. Just played in Cincinnati in a 6-2, 6-2 beatdown. They played at the French this year, which was a straight set win for Zverev as well. Now, this is notable because Grigor Dimitrov is having his best year since 2017. He's 28-17. and 17. That's his most wins since 2017. And there's still a good portion of the calendar left. So assume he'll crest the 35 win mark, which will be a banner year for Dimitrov. Zverev, 40 and 21 this year, which is kind of staggering, actually, when you think about it. Zverev is a minus 240 money line favorite. Dimitrov is plus 195 as a dog. The spread is four, expensive four. So yeah, you probably see some four and a halves no, out there. Uh, I see thir- a cheap, I see a cheap four. Maybe there's movement at Pinnacle. It's even money. Oh, there you go. Now, the total mm-hmm. is 39 and a half. And I don't want to say the four is a gift, but certainly a look that I'm interested in. John, what do you think about this one? I saw a four and a half posted earlier, and it was like minus 110. So I think there's clearly money coming in on Gregor. I, you can go to the head-to-head. I'd be careful with the Cincinnati match. I think that was played in, in pretty decent wind, and it was clear to me that I, I actually watched a match, the match and a half, a match and a half, the first set and a half, pardon me, of that match is how that should be phrased if I wasn't stupid. Um, and it was windy and Zverev, they both had trouble early. A lot of heavy top spin, which is not Gregor's usual style. Ground strokes to try and just not hit errors. And then Zverev started to get used to it and kind of timed up the wind, if you will. You know, and he was able to cut through it and hit his uh, offensive shots more effectively. Whereas Grigor just never got there was always bothered by it, could not seem to to get it under control, get his game under control in the wind. And so to me, that wasn't a great indicator. But I mean, even if you go further back, he owned him at the French Open on on clay this year. Last year's Paris Masters was relatively close, actually. Still a three-game win in in a three-setter. And you can see how that makes sense, too. If Grigor is serving well, but Zverev still finds one break, that's a two- or three-game win margin in a best-of-three set match. What happens in a best-of-five set match? Then you've got, this is where last round I thought it was the people fading Dimitrov off a five-setter I thought was a terrible idea. And look, there were multiple people I respect that did it. So it's not shitting on anyone in particular. It's just, I wrote this up for action and I still stand by it. And you don't want to be results-oriented on one match. But frankly, I was right. I trusted Dimitrov off four and a half hours, four hours, 40 minutes, more than I trusted Murray off of three hours on the same amount of rest. And it was true. I mean, Dimitrov's serve held up far more. He's got more power from the baseline. And like Murray can't coax, couldn't coax those errors out of him. He crushed them. Now I'm not so sure, right? That was actually somewhat long for a three-setter. Like it wasn't your traditional hour and a half, two-hour match, even though the scoreline was fairly lopsided. I think it was over two hours. All, all of these US Open matches are very long for the most part. Right. And his serve really fell apart in that fourth, uh, third set, pardon me. What is that an indicator of to me his legs were fine through the first two but he was having to hold from 15 40 down i think he did get broken once or twice in the third set that to me is where you can make the case his legs started to go that's where the fifth set against alex molchan who by the way everyone also shit on alex molchan uh watch alex molchan play how does this guy win matches how does he trouble dimitrov he's the exact kind of guy that troubles dimitrov super consistent hits with angles gets a ton of ball back balls back that is the epitome of the person that troubles Grigor Dimitrov. And Zverev troubles him for the same reason. Makes a ton of balls, but he's actually got a decent power and serve as well. I-, I like Zverev in that matchup. I really do. Not just because of the head-to-head. That can be used as like a tertiary reason, 
But the primary and the foundational reason should just be the matchup is terrible for Grigor, right? You can get a minus one and a half sets at minus one twenty-five on Bet Online. You can get it for minus one thirty-five, which I mm. I think I think are both playable numbers, and and that'll be my look in this match, laying a set and a half. Yes, with Alex Zverev for the price. That's a great look because coming back to the kind of set scores I was alluding to earlier, you get Dimitrov serving really well one set, serves first, and Zverev breaks himself with a double fault and an error. Along the way, a 3-6 could really hurt your minus four. Your minus one and a half sets, you're not so concerned, and you still have the better player who, over the course of four sets, is more likely to win three of them. And it's minus 110 at Pinnacle, minus 112. That's a really good number. I love that look. All right, John. Sebastian Baez, who I'm a fan of, Team Baez, first team grinder. He's taking on Daniil Medvedev tonight. It's first meeting between the two. Baez is on an absolute heater. Broke a four-match losing streak on July 31st with a win over Hamad Medvedevich in Kitzbühel. Wins that tournament. Wins Winston-Salem. A hardcore tournament, John. A hardcore tournament. Mm. From a set and a breakdown at his opening match there versus Daniel Galan. I thought he would be toast moving from Winston-Salem to New York. But Borna Chorich obviously going through something. And uh, I look back at Baez's terrible run on hard courts to end 2022. Uh, that kind of wrapped him in this can't play on a hard court narrative. And he played some pretty tough opponents. So I actually think there's a lot of context you could throw around that end of year run last year. However, uh, I think he is done tonight versus Daniil Medvedev. Yeah. Medvedev is a minus 1200 money line favorite. Sheesh. Uh, bias is plus 700. The total is 30 and a half down from 31 and a half. The spread is eight and a half. And yeah, I think uh, it's going to be some trouble for for Baez tonight. What do you think about this one, John? Yeah. Um, look, Baez's win streak, good for him. He was the second best player after the first five or six games against Melageni, period. It, it was That match was on Felipe's racket. He hurt himself. He quit after three sets. His serve was under more pressure. It was more a byproduct of his own errors, right? So his he had, I think, 16 errors in the first seven games of the match. Came back and won that first set because he started to play a little more solidly and his forehand was just dictating. His serve was a little bit bigger. Baez has a sneaky good serve for a clay quarter and a guy of his height. I'll give him that. But Medvedev is an expert returner, especially against guys like Baez. This has the Chris O'Connell scoreline written all over it. Medvedev might get lazy like we saw it against Arnaldi in Toronto, right? That's that 7-5 second set after he crushed him 6-2 in the first. That happens. Medvedev checks out of these kinds of matchups all the time when he's dominating. But he usually dominates first, right? He gets himself out to a massive lead and then he'll play a little more casually. But eight games is wrong. Eight and a half is wrong. This is a 10-game margin. It's purely because of Baez's win streak, which, like I said, I'm I'm frankly not sold on. You won Winston-Salem, one of the worst hard court fields of the year. You beat, like, super streaky Borna Chorich, a super volatile Yuri Lehechka, Laszlo Jerry, who basically gave up. Vukic, who played his, who had his worst serving match in a long time in three sets. Galan from a sudden breakdown in three sets. Not a natural hard quarter. You were the second best player, or the match was not on your racket against Melageni. Like, where are the good wins along the way? Echeverry is a solid win, but it's on his preferred clay courts. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sold on this. The, the total to me is, a, I'm not even kidding when I say this, and I hate betting unders. Because especially with Medvedev, where you could go six, like the Chris O'Connell scoreline, 6-2, something like that. But this over this total at 30 and a half is absolutely buck wild wrong. I have the total down at 28 and a half. And I don't care if people say, oh, you can't be that far off market. 
a grand slam in the fourth or third round and think that your number is okay. No, you know what? I'll stand by my 28 and a half. That, that number is a full, at least a game and a half off. Maybe you can convince me 29, but that number is off. That's my point. Whether it's off by a game, a game and a half or two games doesn't really matter. It's off by a wide margin and that Medvedev under looks great. So I'll be on the Medvedev under, but I'm also going to split it with the handicap or the spread, pardon me, minus eight and a half. Because one, I've been screwed by unders too many times before where the the, the favorite runs away with it in the third set. See Coco Goff versus Elise Merton. She covers the spread, doesn't hit the under. Uh, and two, Medvedev is the type of guy who can take sets off. So I'll probably be splitting like a unit and a half, unit and a half, but it's a big bet either way. These are wrong. Uh, both numbers by a full game to game and a half or two games. I am in agreement with your thinking. I, I really don't know how Baez uh, wins a set, let alone holds serve many times. I mean, honestly, Medvedev many times. <laughs> Medvedev was really good uh, in the O'Connell match. That was the complete luck box uh, for that plus one eighty five. So I'll t- I'll take <laughs> talk about what do we win, what do we learn? I mean, I learned that Daniil Medvedev is full octopus mode here in New York. All right, John, let's pivot to round four. We're entering lopsided territory thanks to some solid dog wins. Our boy Dom Stricker, Dom is plus five twenty five. On the money line as the dog. Fritz is a minus 800 favorite. The spread is six and a half. Total is 35. First meeting between these two. Dom is on his seventh match here, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I will say this. We, we talked about the fatigue factor. Might have been there early in the match. But man, he finished strong against Bonzi, which was super impressive, I thought. The fifth set, yeah. Yeah. Uh... The the fourth that he had a love 32, which I'm not going to get annoyed by. Like I said, if I go one and one on, on a match, I make profit. I, I That is not going to tilt me. I've got far bigger things to tilt about now <laughs> these days. But look, he had the love 30 on return, got a little shaky, plays. He, he's a little too sloppy for me. And Fritz is coming off a match against a young kid who came through qualifying with a big first serve, a questionable second serve. um, And, you know, probably better rally tolerance than Stricker for being totally honest. I don't know if his forehand is as big of a weapon because I don't know if he hits it as flat yet because Menchik is a little more uh, clay court oriented, but this is a very similar matchup. Stricker's now played back-to-back five setters. We saw what happened with Vesley. Another, let me say this in an affectionate way, another dull boy lefty, okay? Like, you know, Dave, we're, I'm on camera when we do these podcasts. I am no you know skinny guy myself. I'm also a lefty. Like I I love these guys. Trust me when I say this, it's out of love, but he is a little, you know, a little pudgy. Have to admit it, and he's played back-to-back five setters. Taylor Fritz just took Jakub Menchik to the woodshed. He the second serve was a concern against Droge. Droge just kept pushing it back to his forehand, no less. I was like, if you're going to push it back and not attack it, at least send it to Menchik's backhand. Didn't do it. Got crushed because of it. He came and tried that shit with Taylor Fritz, and guess what happened? He was absolutely crushed. Fritz started started points with the first serve, which is all you want to do against big first serves. Just get the point started. His backhand is not weak, so Stricker doesn't have that kind of lefty matchup advantage that I think you'd, you'd want him to have. And that fatigue will come into play at some point. Forget the Fritz momentum, this whole, he hasn't lost more than two games in a set yet. Forget that narrative. You don't need it. Because I don't know if it applies so much to a big serving player like Stricker. But I love the the minus six, minus six and a half here. Because it's not so much about Fritz is going to dominate every set. It's the concern I have about a potential lopsided set in a third or fourth set. I it's really hard for me to see Stricker winning a set six three or six two here. And it like if you 
distribute all the potential outcomes. Lopsided sets in Stricker's favor just aren't there that often. They are there for Fritz because he's the better returner. He's got a solid backhand. He's got more rally tolerance. And the fatigue factor could come into play. Remember, he played four sets in his first match as well. Unnecessarily, might I add. He was dominating Popular in through the first two. So, look, Stricker throws away too many games. I don't know if he's fit enough yet. You know, he hasn't played that many best of five matches in his career. So that, like, foundation of stamina and, and endurance in this format is not there. And he's, you know, not in the best shape either. I don't know what stops Fritz from covering this. And I know Stricker has a big serve, but I think that's priced in. If you get this kind of money line, look at the Medvedev match against Baez, a lighter server. You're in that same, I guess you're not in the exact same region, but you're close enough that it should not be a two-game difference on the spread. Stricker's serve is being respected in this situation, right? We're not undervaluing his serve. It is priced in to this spread. And so I think the six and a half is a great number just on stamina and fitness reasons. Forget the Fritz form. The matchup is there and the stamina uh, fitness edge is huge for Taylor Fritz. I totally agree. And to win a set for Dom is you're actually paying a little bit of juice. It's minus 110, which I don't love. Uh, I, I would want a plus price. So, but I am, of course, going to be back into my my guy Dom in, in some fashion here, uh, <laughs> and I, I'm going to split a low stake between the set one and the set two money line. The set one is at plus two seventy five. The set two at plus two fifty five. I also might be on the over nine and a half, which is only at minus one twenty. That's not juiced up. Certainly think these guys could get to a six four, but one break, man. And, and see, right. that's the thing too is I don't hate the first set money line. If you're going to attack this, the over games overall, this first set over, and like a first set money line for the dog. I, I don't I don't like Stricker in the matchup, but if you're going to play Stricker, that's the way to do it, right? Competitive early, that big service clicking early before he starts to wear down. That's probably the route. And again, it might go the inverse. He might lose 6-2 in the first set, go to a tie break and win it in the second. My point still stands though. Before we know the result. I think what's more likely to happen, he gets stronger as he goes or he starts strong and then fades. I think it's the latter, right? I think it's more likely he starts strong. So I like those angles if you're going to back Stricker. And I'm going to back Stricker. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, All right, John, Rinki Hajikata, we talked about him already on this episode and we're we're fans of him. We talk about him a lot on this podcast. He's taking on Francis Tiafo next, though. And that's... uh going to be a tall task to continue his run here at the US Open. He is a plus 525 money line dog. Tiafo is minus 180 on the money line. The spread is six and a half. The total is at 34. And here's the thing about this matchup. Uh, first meeting between these two, I believe. And, and here's the, the thing about this matchup is two of three matches for Tiafo were similar style players to Rinky Hajikata. So he's had some prep coming into this. And again, we're talking about another lopsided matchup here. And another one I do not like the dog's chances very much. Couldn't agree more. I think, look, I hate to be the chalk guy. That's not me. Anyone who knows me has always accused me of like the only trolls that I've had have been like, you throw darts at underdogs. Like I'm the other way. I usually like the underdogs more often than the favorites in tennis. But it's another one where the favorite just looks so good. It's look, Tiafo had his struggles against Manorino, but Hijikata does not hit that annoying flat ball that Manorino does. He does not have that pesky game style nearly as down pat as Manorino does. And he's not as experienced at a best of five level as Manorino is. Now Manorino was clutching at his knee and Tiafo was not, not ruthless enough in closing him out, not clinical enough. Okay. That was a little concerning. That's the only concern I have though. Like you said, learner teen, I would actually say is a little bit better on taking the ball on the rise, counter-punching, 
and kind of pushing it back with angles than even Hijikata is. And he's only 18 now. He's also less experienced. He doesn't have the serve that Hijikata does. So there's a little trade-off there. But Tiafo dominated him. Tiafo beats Manorino by six games. And against a guy who does have a serve and power, he also showed he can dominate in Sebastian Offner. I mean, there, there isn't really anything that Hijikata does here to make me think he keeps this matchup close. His angles aren't the, like the greatest. And even if they were, Tiafo is not someone that is really susceptible to being pulled off the court and then being, you know, allowing you to hit through the open space because he's so quick and agile. It's a really tough match for Hijikata. And let's face it, his last two matchups, he's played guys off five setters, right? Fukshevich's, I know he played a really high level in that match, but Mar- Marton wasn't close to his top level either. And then Zhang was off back-to-back five setters, if I recall correctly. At least a four-setter and a five-setter. I'm pretty sure he played five sets uh, against Rude and against Wolf. Yeah, he definitely played uh, five sets against both. So, Look, I'm not sold on Hijikata's path here. I'm not sold on his game or matchup against Tiafo. And the three nothing here is is at plus money for Tiafo. Look, if you're going to tell me that Tiafo drops a set over half the time in this matchup, I'm just plainly going to disagree with you. So from that standpoint alone, I think there's value to be had. You know me; I'm not the biggest three nothing guy. It takes one five seven set to sink your bet. So again, probably play a little bit of three nothing and a lot more minus six or minus six and a half. Tiafo's hasn't been the greatest returner in his career overall, or at least a, a, as good as he should be for his game style, but he's been fine this week. And when you're, when you don't have a serve to really push him back, he will break you mo- like multiple times and he can put up one lopsided set. That's all you need for a, a minus six or six and a half, one, six, two set. And then you just need a singular break the rest of the way. Even if you lose one, five, seven or six, seven, you know, a singular break for a six, three and a six, four long way will get you there. So I'm a, a, I'm going to be big on Tiafa, which is really weird for me to continually be on all these favorites. Yeah, I'm a, I'm in agreement. Pink Tiafa will snatch Hajikata's soul in this matchup. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it could get really ugly. Uh, under 14 games for Hajikata is minus 105. I mean, under 15 is only minus 125. Uh, it's I, I think this could be bad. All right, John, we're we're running out of matches. That's uh, kind of a bummer. Those big opening round slates are just. Well, they're not great on Tuesday uh, this past week, but <laughs> it's great for watching and the, the excitement. Uh, but Tommy Paul is taking on Ben Shelton once again at a Grand Slam. Paul is a minus 300 favorite. Ben Shelton is plus 240 on the money line. The spread is five. The total is at 38 and a half here. These two played at the Australian Open, as I mentioned, this year. Tommy won in four. Tommy, of course, dropped the third in that one, which he uh, did as well in the Fokina match. And I I feel like a, a Tommy late or mid-match or late match, however you want to phrase it, dip in level is uh, becoming, I don't want to say routine, but um, in the mix in Tommy Paul matches. Uh, certainly was dominating Fokina before dropping the third. But, I mean, Fokina was also playing piss poor and suddenly came to life a bit so and he's a formidable foe so i don't blame tommy for losing that third but still the the dip in level i think is a concern when it comes to mr paul what do you think about this one john um yeah and just before i get to the match it kind of makes you respect guys like alcaraz and djokovic who you know alcaraz it's another thing he's really improved since last year's us open the rally tires the point construction that all this stuff we mentioned in the last few months but also the fact that he is starting to close these in three. He is coming back against Lloyd Harrison, not saying, okay, whatever, I'll go to a fourth. We see this with Medvedev sometimes. We see it with Tommy Paul. These guys are some of the top players in the world that do this. We see it with Francis Tiafo as well in that third, that fourth set yesterday. 
To be able to do this, Djokovic, I know it sounds odd after he needed five against Jerry, but for for the most part, him and Alcaraz, it's not just their dominance and their talent. It's the fact that they they do close in three sets more often than not. And it's tough to do. It's tough not to let yourself get uh psych yourself out or get out of the get out of the match mentally. So there's that. Um as for the match, Tommy Paul and Ben Shelton, look, I'm I'm going nowhere near this. I'm happy to pass on Ben Shelton matches at hardcourt slams from now on. He clearly shows up. We know his talent. I have zero interest in backing him to beat someone who is just far more well-rounded in my mind. Um, I'm also not interested in backing Tommy Paul at particularly, you know, longish spreads if we're going to, or highish spreads if we're going to talk about the fact that he does dip for a level. Maybe the minus one and a half sets would be the, not would be the better look, is for me anyway, the better look. That though is, Fairly juiced, minus 130. I like my one and a half sets to generally be in the minus 110, minus 115, minus 120 range. Now, value is value. If you think he wins it more often than the odds indicate, play it. And I think $1.78 or minus 130-ish, minus 128 probably falls into that category. So I I could make a case for Tommy Paul, minus one and a half sets here. I'm in agreement. We saw Shelton in uh, his first two matchups uh, and two of his three matchups uh, versus players uh, who are a little bit more uh, point construction oriented or just, you know, tend to uh, extend points a little more. Uh, Kachin, I, I mean, took down that first set to the tune of 6-1. Uh, Tommy Team broke Shelton first in that first set. So Tommy, obviously a guy who doesn't mind extending points or, or playing longer rallies and um that's not great for mr sheldon he you know it's it's going to be a different matchup than the karatsev match uh in many ways now I, like you said uh sheldon seems to be a, a wild card on these slam hard courts um so I, i'm definitely not counting him out and, and i think that he's a a player that is going to trend up is a player i like and will improve uh and, and sew up that lack of rally tolerance over time but tommy seems to have it rolling man like i don't want to get excited about tommy paul because <laughs> that's exactly when tommy paul cucks you <laughs> uh but a lot of people are, are starting to notice uh, mr paul's tennis skills and um it's pretty cool to see because you know people that listen to this podcast we, we talk about paul a lot uh we are our long, our missing co-host uh, was the biggest Tommy Paul truther out there. So, I'm uh, still convinced he's coming back 2024. By the way, I'm convinced <laughs> of it. I'm going to hound him. So yeah, I I, I am in agreement. Um, it's going to be tough for for Sheldon. I, I'm not sure which angle I like. I, I might sit that I, again. This is like I have the Tommy Paul plus 550 in pocket for the quarter. That's another one. I think I'm just going to let it ride. I was going to say if you've got that too, just at this point, let her let her go. Uh, you know, like he's he's a, a big favorite. You're likely to have him into a quarterfinal, which will, you know, put you two matches away from running into Novak Djokovic, most likely. Another reason why, like if Novak lost last night, I'd be like, okay, there goes a unit. But like now Tommy Paul has a path to the final. And I've got a 150 to one on Tommy Paul. So mm, not the worst. Probably still not going to win because he's got to go through Alcaraz. But I mean, not the worst. He's, he's, he's played Alcaraz tough every time, or at least... Over the last 13 months, he's played him three times and he's beaten him twice and played him tough once. So, like, it's not even the worst thing in the world is if you had a 150 to one against Carlos because you might get the first set and be able to hedge. But I digress. Uh, yeah, definitely let it ride if, you, if you've got any form of uh, Tommy Paul outrides, which I hadn't thought of either, which is nice because now I'm not tempted to play that minus one and a half as much anymore. Let's round to the finish with uh, Mr. Djokovic. Novak Djokovic is a nine game favorite. 
and he's minus six. <laughs> he's minus sixty six hundred on the money line. <laughs> it's just hilarious to see <laughs> a number like that. Oh my god, he's minus sixty six hundred on the money line. Bornegoyo is plus fifteen hundred as the dog. Holy crap! Uh, the total is at twenty nine, and, and rightfully so. I mean, there's literally no way Goyo is going to win this match, but. I am a Goyo guy. I, I've decided I'm a Goyo truther. I like him. <laughs> I've decided. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm pro Goyo. I like him. He's awesome. He's not awesome, but he's a fun player. I think I think he has underrated rally tolerance. Actually, yes, I was going to say I think he is uh, underratedly awesome. I would I would agree with your first part of that statement that he is he is pretty damn good, man. I really like Borna Goyo. It's kind of like Jay Balvin blonde uh, look, mm. Rocky Nico Moreno Dalbaran. Vibes. I was like, is that? I thought Nico Moreno Dale Brown was out of this tournament. What the hell is he doing to play in Yuri Vesley? Then it was Bornegoya. I was like, oh, so we're just going to have two guys that go 90s style boy band bleach blonde hair. Cool. Awesome. Top 10 sweatiest guys on tour, Bornegoya. <laughs> I mean, it's 2 2. Guys, it's like they've been playing for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a night too. It's the sun's not even out. Um, uh, oh, anyway, man. I'll say this: this is lined almost identically to Laszlo Gera, and I don't know that that should be the case. I mean, Goyo maybe has a bigger serve, um, but Gera has a pretty decent serve himself. And honestly, the, the, how Gera found success was winning long rallies versus Novak, who just was missing and i do not see goyo winning long rallies even though i did praise his rally tolerance skill skills he's he's not gonna he's not gonna do what jared did jared pushed on the nine uh, if you had the nine and a half you got there uh so I, i'm i think maybe this is because novak struggled the other night but uh, i think this is in line for another novak uh beat down here you know who i wouldn't want to be on sunday a certain person named born <laughs> I would not want to be the guy that plays Djokovic the match after he had to come back from two sets down because there's like, there's going to be a mentality from Djokovic where it's like, no, no, no. I played late. The other, I think his, I think he played a night match in his second round as well. And now I just played late, late in the third round. No, I'm coming out. This is being done in three sets. Like I'm going, I'm not doing this again. Would not want to be born a Goyo on Sunday. I can tell you that. And that's all I'm going to say about that match. <laughs> like, honest to God, I don't really have more to say about it. I think Goyo's serve is better than Laszlo Jerry's. But like you said, that's not how Laszlo won the points. It's not how you beat Novak in general. Um, you beat him with a strong serve and then a plus one ball or, you know, strong rally tolerance and just making stupid, re- like almost reaction type shots that, that Jerry made. And that is not Goyo's strong suit or, or at least not as much as it is Jerry. So I'm with you on that um, matchup analysis point for sure. Look, like I said, would not want to be born on. I mean, I guess you could lay the nine under 29. Ah, that's See, this is one of those things though, too, as a high volume better. I always say when I do my Patreon kind of audio recordings or episodes is I like it slightly. I, but like, I'm so high volume. There's other favorites. I like a lot more. And so it's just easier to scrap that one. I mean, you could make the case like pro betters will just bet value where they see it period. They won't even hesitate. They don't fight themselves on it. They'll just do it. And like, but that's not me. I'm still, you know, just kind of out here trying to find edges and trying to bet the ones that I think are larger. (laughs) So that's probably one I can skip. Like, is there really win by is, is nine, a decent number. Maybe, maybe it should be nine and a half. At the same price, I don't know, but it, it's marginal enough for me to just pass, you know? All right, John. Well, we've said it all on the late round three, round four, day one. Follow John at 
Jared Tweets Tennis at Tidbits Tennis. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. If you're going to listen to us, please listen to us on Spotify moving forward. Uh, we need Spotify listens. Give us a rating, a review. Uh, if you're liking the content, we're not out here r- r- running clean uh, with winners, but uh, I-, I feel like we give a pretty good breakdown of all these these matches that, that provides value beyond just the picks. So please do support us in any way you can. Until next time, see you on the court.